welcome to uh, what has been our first whiskey episode in a while. Yeah. We've not yeah. done one in a bit. I'm your host, John Foley. With me, Courtney Booms Hello. and Mark Miller. Hello. And we're back on our whiskey series, uh, back revisiting Scotch as a... Uh, we're kind of completing a part two to an Isla episode that we did a couple months ago. So we focused on the, I think they were actually called uh, Smoke Boys or Pete. Smoky yeah, Babies. Smoky and, and Petey Boys or something, something like, like that. that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, was our, it was our Isla and Pete and Scotch episode. But we're going to focus now on the Highlands and kind of zero in on Speyside, some great distilleries, a little bit of history. And I, I want to use this as an excuse to talk about kind of scotch in general and, and the approachability of certain scotches and just the way that whiskey's talked about. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I have one book that I just want to show people at the end. I don't know if you have any research materials or anything that you want to share at the end, Courtney. But Courtney has compiled, once again, a wonderful deep dive into the subject matter. I just love writing down notes. I do. I love yes. reading the notes that you've written down. Thank you. And you're going to give us a, what's the plug, Mark? What's what, we'll talk what, about iLogic Media? Oh, yes, yeah. iLogic Media, yeah, our fantastic production company. They have a variety of different podcasts, mm-hmm. lots of sports, pop culture, all that fun stuff. They do video game stuff too, right? Um, do well, they? I think that's an untapped market. That I, I think you're the one to tap it. You're gonna that's show. that's it was sitting there waiting to be tapped by I you, know, yes, and I will indeed tap it. Good. Uh, but yeah, iLogic Media, fantastic Excellent. podcast production company. Awesome, Check them out. so so. The Highlands. Well, Speyside. Speyside specifically. Because we did cover the Highlands in episode 8. It's true. And 16 or something like that? 19, 19. is Isla. Isla. That's so why Booms is great because she goes back and she finds all of the things <laughs> yeah. we can't remember. Well, but that that's kind of how this is, is whiskey is an ongoing conversation. Yes. And especially with what we do in the spirits world, whiskey is... It ends up being the primary subject matter, spirits-wise, that you end up talking about. So you have to revisit the conversation often, whether or not it's revisiting things that you're just now tasting or something that you've kind of reconsidered or changed your mind on. or like The the conversation is constant. I think if I was to to put it in one statement, I'd say that whiskey holds a lot of gravitas that other spirits – can also have but it seems to be a little bit more serious in some cases than whimsical in other cases sure mm-hmm. that's fair well and gravitas and seriousness is granted by by the collective as a whole and how much they pay attention to it and at oh, that yeah. point whiskey yeah. is is very regarded yeah indeed, indeed. <laughs> by everybody so uh if i was to jump in and start with the history of scotch we've if covered you were, it. i think you are going to do that wow. feed first yeah it's me um i'm gonna go really as quickly as I can because we did cover it in episodes 8 and 19. So uh, it's just nice to have a a, a recap, if you will. So Scotch originates with the development of an early grain spirit called Aquavitae. This was made uh, by monks using distillation techniques from uh, that would have been pulled from the Middle East, the Alembic still around 600, excuse me, AD, forming its way into a more distinct barley-based specific spirit called Uskava or Uskavetha. Around 1400 and 1494, it would be the first recorded year of whiskey distilling in Scotland. Specifically, it begins with references of beer or wort made from barley being distilled from those Alembic stills using a heat and condensation method to make a higher gravity product from that first fermentation. Over time, as whiskey became more refined, it also becomes part of a daily life for Scots and ingratiates itself into the culture's identity. 
those uh, original stills become pot stills, so from Alembic to pot stills. And then we also begin to see the use of cask and barrel aging from things like sherry or port wine relatively quickly. The first notes are around the 16th century. In 1831, NAS Coffee, an Irishman, brought the brought, uh, developed a patent still which allows continuous distillation of whiskey. We call them column stills more often than not, and which he had first offered to Irish distillers. They passed that up, but Scotch heads did pick up on it, and they were able to produce uh, much quicker. It made a, uh, a lighter, less intense whiskey, you might say, like a little bit less robust, which made it uh, actually greater for the overall market to consume. And with that faster style, you get um, the expanding, like widely expanding distilleries like uh, and companies like Dewar's, Johnny Walker, and Chavas. That combined with the decline of brandy and wine in the 1880s because of phloxer mold made whiskey just kind of soar ahead in the spirits category overall. Yeah, it can't be, it cannot be, um, it, you can't really under-exaggerate how momentous of a decision the Scots and Irish respectively made on the coffee still. That's true. Because this is this is a turning point for everything. The Irish got offered it first. They said, nah, we're fine. And the Scots take it and it ends up being, allows them to make more, better, quicker. Harder, faster, say, yeah, well, I mean, and distribution. So one, one goes <laughs> yeah. from, I think we mentioned this before on one of the other ones. Stop it. <laughs> yeah, the idea of one becoming a regional Sorry, spirit Mike. and one becoming an international spirit. Yes. Yeah, exactly. And it's not that pot still whiskey isn't still amazing. It's, in fact, the it tradition is. in that, yeah, that great. huge style that it made certain other brands. But this allows scotch to spread out and conquer. It becomes a world spirit. World spirit. That'd yeah. be a fun little side segment for us to do is like blind different pot stills versus different different like column stills Ooh, and whiskeys see and identify. see if we can tell like the difference and identify correctly. I think you're developing some future episodes. That would be fun. <laughs> yeah. That would be fun because it's one of those things you think to yourself, yeah, of course I can do that. <laughs> yeah. And then we get them all wrong. We get them all wrong. <laughs> Except Booms who gets the majority right. Oh, well. Maybe. <laughs> we'll try it out. We'll see. Um, some palate push-ups in between now and then. Beyond, <laughs> beyond recap of four with your tongue. <laughs> 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 One's all you need. <laughs> I can't talk today, baby. I'm resting my tongue from the tongue oh, push-ups. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. Well, from besides the production of scotch and how it kind of uh, became a world spirit, we also know that in about 19, the 1920s, excuse me, a lot of master blenders wanted to start um, specifying scotch regions. So it wasn't um, all just scotch on the whole. It was Highland scotch, Speyside scotch, Isla scotch, etc. So and it comes uh, down to branded money, too. Definitely. Like you you definitely want to hype your branch. spot. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Tennessee's been doing the same thing forever. I mean, the one tiny bit of the process that differentiates its liquid from bourbon. From yeah. But even if they don't use that, they don't call their their whiskey bourbon because Tennessee sour mash is a is a brand. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And let's see if uh, if we can send John Cole a little map. It'll be yes. hereish probably, and uh, or straight over the face right here. Who knows? But on that map, you're gonna see Scotland, which takes up about. Uh, a third of the UK at the northernmost point of the UK. And let's see, so it's going to be on your side. So opposite, you're going to see uh, the highlands are all around the top. Speyside is a nice little triangular cutout from the top. Beneath the highlands is, of course, the lowlands. To the right of the lowlands, you'll see a peninsula that's kind of singled out. That's Campbellton. And then you've got the islands, which usually start around the right edge and then 
curve all the way up into the north. And in that set of islands is Isla, the specific um, island that creates the most peated scotch. You might and say. for those who listen to us on radio, that's going to be a little bit difficult. Oh, they can Google but what it. You, yeah, but I mean, by the time um, that you're listening to this, this this easterly front right here is going to come on <laughs> in, and it's going to bend uh. low. This, this little stampede of a high weather system from the west is going to converge, <laughs> but it's not going to hit until around Sunday. So those of you on Isla looking to shoot a quick 18, you're going to be just fine. Hit them straight, boys. Do you think golfing on Isla is easy or like no? They can super, super, yeah. super fucking hard. So no such thing as an easy eighteen. I'm not really sure how much golf there is on Isla. There's like three thousand people. There's golf all over Scotland. Yes, and it's windy as hell. It just yeah. makes me think of Passionate. like say what you will about the quality of the show, Family Guy. But anytime they do like a weather segment, they're like, "How's the weather today?" Ollie he just goes, "It's raining." Yeah. <laughs> that sounds about right. You got a window? Open it. <laughs> So for what we're covering today, um, it can generally be said that Speyside scotches are, are frugal with peat or smokiness. It's very light, if at all, typically. And it's abundant with flavors of fruit uh, and even a honeyed sweetness. Predominant fruits found in the flavors of Speyside scotch include um, mostly orchard fruit, so apples, pears, peaches, citrus, and apricots. Frequently, you can taste vanilla and baking spices. More often than not, those flavors are coming from the region's propensity for maturing their spirit in either ex-bourbon or even more so ex-sherry barrels. And much of this can remind you of the predominant flavors that are found in Irish whiskeys, um, difference being malted versus unmalted barley. And of course, bourbons, which is why Speyside is one of the easiest uh, transition scotches, you might say, or for the mm -hmm. novice scotch drinker who still has already enjoyed Irish or bourbon. Yes, read approachable. Mm -hmm. These whiskeys are approachable. They're very, very easy to like. Uh, and I, I hate this word, but most people would find them, quote, smooth, which to me is a total bullshit word that is very, very, very subjective. However, it also can speak towards a lack of edge or a lack of heat, and it can speak to to integration mm -hmm. in the whiskey. Highlands whiskeys are well integrated. They hold yeah. alcohol well. They're not extra smoky. The sweet ones aren't egregiously sweet and syrupy like some other styles of whiskey. And they're all about balance Yeah, for me. Well made. Yeah. Yeah. And and ease of drinkability, and they're they're a great after dinner meal or after dinner after dinner meal. Second secondsies, eleven seconds, eleven seconds. Yes. <laughs> it's a good <laughs> after it's dinner meals. beverage. Um, so one of the things that I wanted to cover before we dip into all of the different distilleries is like why is Speyside Highlands but Highlands not Speyside? Excellent point. Right. So one, it is a specific region. You do have to be in that triangular cutout of Speyside to be called Speyside, but it's a sub-region. So it's almost like, I think last time in the um, first episode, it must have been episode nine, I mentioned that Speyside is kind of like the Manhattan to the highlands of sure, New York, yeah. whatever I'm trying to say, the equivalent of, right? So it's like a sub-region within. And or like Basque Country. Or like Basque Country. Yeah, exactly. So if- Gary in Indiana. It's also a marketing thing. So if, you're, uh, if your distillery is in Speyside, but you'd like to call your scotch Highland Scotch because you find that it's more marketable or more easily identifiable, then you can still call your scotch uh, Highland Scotch. But you can't do that on the reverse. If you're in the Highlands region, but not within Speyside, it can't be called Speyside. That's, um, they're protective over that because Speyside is a major part of the brand. Mm -hmm. It speaks to a level of quality as well as geography. Yeah, yeah. yeah. At the same time, too, it's also the uh, highest percentage of distilleries per land capita 
That's, if you will. So it has about half of Scotland's total distilleries is in Speyside. Oh. Are in Speyside, excuse me. I'm going to correct what I just said. Sorry. It speaks to a level of perceived quality. Because sure, yeah. just because you are Highlands and not Speyside does not mean you're of lower quality. There's a lot wrapped up in Speyside. It's it's an international perception of of quality based on, I believe, a few of the distilleries yeah. that, that helped yeah. make the name. Yeah. It's also a stylistic assumption. Yeah. In that other highlands can be a little bit more robust stylistically than some or of the Speysides or grainier. grainier. Or, yeah. Yep. That's the one I always like see. Kleinlish. A difference. Oban. These are great mm -hmm. examples of non uh, Speyside highlands that are that are bigger. They're just bigger. They're whiskeys. outside of that exact flavor profile. Yeah. Well. So this is another one of those things that can be very confusing if you're not a Scotch drinker, or even if you are a novice Scotch drinker and you want to learn what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. uh, it's it's perception of quality and style within this small small region. Mm -hmm. That too, and and because it has the most distilleries per capita uh, of anywhere else, you'll still have ones that are outside of that. Um, general profile It's basically what you just said so they're outside of that general profile of like super sweet or fruit or whatever it is so that's where maybe marketing as a highland scotch is, is a little bit better for yeah. them anyway did you want to start tasting some scotch while let's we talk about drink it? some scotch <laughs> do you think there's one and two distilleries in space i feel like totally the kids that the other space i kids make fun of like oh, okay yeah. cool you i mean you're here but like, you're not Really. <laughs> you're not true space you're not that awesome <laughs> there probably is so what are we starting with over there i love to go alphabetical because that's how my ordered brain works so aberlauer is the one Everybody. that i have uh, have set up for us first so aberlauer so one thing i do have um with me that i wanted to bring is um michael jackson's complete guide to single malt scotch this is not, not that michael this jackson. is not michael jackson that you're thinking of. <laughs> yeah <clears throat> michael jackson was a beverage writer in the UK, um, I I first came across his work in in researching beer because he was a beer writer. He was one of the I think probably the first actual beer writer who went around and tasted different beers and ranked them and talked about them and gave um, gave a, gave to the print medium a guide to drinking beer regionally, both not in just the UK but all over. And he then turned his attention to to whiskey, specifically single malt, specifically scotch. He died a number of years ago, I believe in the early aughts, but I could be wrong. And he left behind a pretty substantial body of work in terms of visiting and tasting different malts from different distilleries. This book is still updated, so you can buy it. And it's a pretty handy guide to just navigating single malt scotch in general. Oh, yeah. Beautiful. Did yeah. that say quinoa? Some type there's of quinoa, quinoa yeah. There's some. So he didn't do a great job at first in his non-scotch. Oh, okay. Whiskeys in terms of what he yeah. focused on, and I not that Corsair isn't a um, a lovely distillery, but yeah. I don't know if their quinoa <laughs> distilled whiskey deserves a page in this book. They're one of those What's distilleries I feel like that just makes really interesting things, like off the wall kind of stuff. You know? <laughs> <laughs> they found their market, and the market is niche. Yeah, yes, like the yes. yeah, like the band who only makes the nine minute art rock songs. Yes. What do you yes. think? Oh, it's good. You want to play it? No. 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 <laughs> All right, let's pour up this yeah, Aberlour. So. Here's the bottle for anyone watching. You can see it. I almost flung it straight across the table, so let me just hand that over. There we go. So this is the uh, the 16 year we have. That is right. So Their base is, I believe, a 12 year. Uh, the first expression I see that they offer is 10, but 12 is okay. the more commonly sold. Yes. 
So Aberlour is this a single is, this oh. is I'm sorry. This is one of the ones that when we first started, when I first opened this place, I skipped the 12. I yeah. had it, but I skipped it and went right to the 16, thinking I would always add the 12 later. And we've just never carried it. The 16 is just I would like have it. to agree by your assessment of that. Well, this, uh, the 12 is awesome, but I, I love this drink. Yeah. Yeah, so um, Aberlour is a single malt scotch distillery in the town of, of course, Aberlour, Strathby, Scotland, at the confluence of the Lower Burn and the River Spey near Ben Rennes. It was founded in 1879 by James Fleming, the only son of a tenant, tenant farmer, excuse me, and he started uh, in the grain trade. He'd also, by the 1860s, acquired a lease of a nearby distillery, therefore involving himself in the spirits world ahead of time. And it just took him uh, five years to establish and develop a branch agency for the North Bank of Scotland at that same time. It sounds like a car just hit our wall. <laughs> uh, I don't think that. We're under attack. <laughs> Oh man, maybe we, we should, are. I am gonna go see what that he is. He had uh, he had been a chairman of the school board, Run your an, protocols, elder the, Mark. an elder of the parish church, and a county councillor, as well as town provost. So it's safe to say that he was a respected and prominent figure in uh, with his reputation within his community. And he was able to require a few, which for those who don't know, it is a land tenancy. Uh, it comes from a shortening of the term feudalism from the Earl of Fife, where Aberlour is today. He was a major aspect of the area, and before his death, he sold his distillery to his acting agent, so Robert Thorne and Sons Limited, in 1892. It changed hands a few more times before it was taken over in 1975 by Pernod Ricard. In 2001, it joined the Chavas Brothers, which is under Pernod, uh, adding to their 14 single malt distillery portfolio, where it has been to this day. They updated their visitor center shortly after uh, it joined Chavas, modernizing it, and is still a high attraction in Speyside. Lots we... of acquisitions coming between the, the early and mid-70s to the early 2000s. Yes. As distilleries faced an unprecedented 20, 25 years of very, very low sales and a shifting culture in terms of international whiskey drinking. Exactly. So you saw distilleries disappear forever. You saw some of them struggle uh, a great deal and become acquired. And and this is kind of what allows a lot of them to weather the storm and still be offered today, where there are other ones like uh, Brora and mm -hmm. Port Allen that, that shuttered, shuttered forever. Yeah. Now, some of those are now finally being reopened, but there was a giant gap. I imagine it romantically as like a Daddy Warbucks in the Little Orphan Annie situation. <laughs> well, and you know, Chivas and Diageo and these guys, they they get and they get to pad their their portfolio. Yeah, they get to have control over a great deal of labels that they get to offer, which is how we still get to drink them. Exactly. So it's um, it's very interesting because there is a lot of big money behind some of these labels, but that's how they're still alive. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so Aberlour does have a variety of bottle agings. We talked about a little bit of them already. So you've got the 10-year, the 12-year, they have a 15. 16 is the youngest that we carry, mm -hmm. I guess you'd say. And then an 18-year. And then some NAS. Yeah, they have a very rare 30-year-old 1970s vintage mall. And then they have their cask strength release, Abudna. And then the U.S. Uh, limited release, Abudna Alba. So that means so that comes from excuse me abudna in scots gaelic means the original and it's a homage to their founder james fleming so they used this um old recipe basically it's to ensure a rich and complex flavor of moist raisin and homemade fruit cake that comes from their website of course and is bottled at cast strength resulting in a robust and deeply intense sherried whiskey and it's awesome yeah when i've tasted yes. it before i got praline black cherry ginger and dark chocolate 
So I did a little bit of side research on um, the abuna. Did you know it's abunak? Abunak. That bh makes like a kind of sound. Oh, abunak. Yes. Yeah. Um, I have been spelling it wrong. The whole time. <laughs> <laughs> Whoops. So uh, interestingly, at least from what I gathered, the abunak alba is mm -hmm. um, all entirely white American oak, and there's no sherry barrel aging on it. I see. Yeah. But not Alba means the original Scottish. Yes. Yes. So there's the American reason. Yeah. So the cast strength grain bill in homage to Mr. Fleming, mm -hmm. one release in heavy Oloroso sherry, but the mm -hmm. other one in American oak. Straight. Yep. yep. Straight. White American Which is why you see a great variance in color from one to the other. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. The Alba is far, far, far lighter, like three yeah. or four shades lighter. Yeah. Than the, and another the fun fact I found out about Aberlauer is they get the majority of their barrels from the distilleries that make um, Rabbit Hole, yeah. Jefferson's, and Smooth Ambler. Interesting. Yeah. All three of yeah. them considered um, more like a little bit more niche and a little bit more sure. like kind of off center yeah. bourbon yeah. producers. Yeah. I thought that was kind of cool. And all of them, all of them yeah. good. I haven't tasted any of that Smooth Ambler stuff in a long time, but when I did back in the day, I liked it. I liked it because it was weird and yeah. kind of a yeah. little like rough around its edges. But yes. I think a lot of their former releases have been rebranded and they've kind of smoothed out what they. No pun intended. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's, um, that's West Virginia, right? I think so. That's yeah. Hill whiskey. <laughs> Mm. Very nice. So we've got uh, our second, if we continue down the line, is the Balvini. I'm a little bit thinking we are going to get attacked. We're not. No. We're safe I, in here. You know, it's, I thought it was the dungeon troll, but I, I think something else is going on. <laughs> Maybe a Pegasus. It's like in Pleasantville. Oh. Hey, thanks. It's, uh, it's okay. Thank God we're in a bowling alley. Safe. <laughs> uh, anyway, so our second whiskey would be the Balvini. Uh, the Balvenie is a distillery located in Dufftown, Scotland. It is currently owned by William Grant & Sons brand. It was founded by William Grant himself in 1892. Um, having learned from his position first as a bookkeeper at the Mortlock Distillery, he, uh, he knew what was going on. So the name comes from a nearby castle, Balvenie Castle. The distillery itself was made by converting an 18th century mansion, which took about 15 months to complete. David Stewart, MBE, or member of the most excellent order of the British Empire, is Belvini's malt master. It's one of the industry's most experienced experts and began working with William Grant and Sons in 1962. He's most famous for being the first to create the process that would later be known as wood finishing, a process whereby whiskeys are matured in one type of cask, such as ex-bourbon barrels, then transferred to a second type of cask, uh, for instance, sherry, port, or rum, resulting in greater depth of flavor and complexity. Previously to this, it was almost always one barrel finishing. Which they do a lot of now. Balance. Yes, yeah. yes. And uh, he received his MBE from the Queen Elizabeth on the 5th of July, 2016, uh, for his services to the Scotch whiskey industry. So, uh, standard bottlings of Belvinia include the 12-year single barrel, 12-year double wood, which is what I think we have in front of us right now, 14-year Caribbean cask, the 17-year double wood, and they've made a great variety of other ones. So they've got like single berry sh barrel, excuse me, sherry cask 15 year that we've stocked before the 21 year Portwood. They've had a 30 year, 40 year, 50 year. Um, they use like sweet toast, American oak, week of peat. A lot of people know week of peat. They're big scotch. Because uh, it's delicious. Yeah. Delicious. Hard to get. <laughs> Edge of Burnhead Wood, Day of Dark Barley, and several batches of Balvenie Tun, which is. Tun 1509. Was it? Yes. <laughs> so um, <clears throat> we're. I was a little bit behind um, because I was mentally preoccupied with, with 
um, <laughs> sonic disturbance. Yeah, let's just put it out there. If you do hear some bangs on the podcast, yeah. we're going to try to edit them out, edit them out as best as we can. But yeah. there's some some work going on in the in the building. yeah <laughs> spring cleaning time that I will break someone's knees for. So the Ar Eberlauer is uh, having just sipped it. It's remarkably mellow on the palate, mm -hmm. yeah, with loads yeah. of like really cool kind of like old timey candy flavors. Yes. Apples, and, yeah, and a lot of fruit. The finish is extremely mellow and it's extremely well integrated. We're going to go right into tasting and talking about the Balvini before we move on to talking about the Craggenmore. I think that that is—it's just fortuitously alphabetic that we're doing this this way. Mm -hmm. Aberlauer and Balvini are both palette-wise very agreeable. It would be very oh, yeah. agreeable to the same yeah, yeah. person. You, if you agree. like one, you will like the other because of that of that rich nuttiness that the sherry imparts on the finish. Yeah. Um, um, uh, finish of the balvenie it's going to be a complimentary flavor too i think so to Avalar. and i love it i love yeah. anything balvenie makes honestly <laughs> i just love scotch boys balvenie yeah. <laughs> was probably one of the first um drams to really educate me on what on what sherry sherry finishing did to whiskey and that seems kind of crazy to think about now all these years in because i think when i think of barrel finishing i think of sherry above all others mm -hmm. And I think of, uh, of it a flavor that because I've been enjoying scotch for so long, I don't know where I, I, I don't remember not knowing what it tasted like. It is so, it's so long yeah. ago that, but it was Balvenie that did it and kind of showed me. Mm -hmm. And that, yeah. that's what eventually led me to actually seek out and drink actual sherry. Oh, yeah. And do you know what you said after that? Did I, what? I didn't sing oh, that song. Sherry. Yeah. <laughs> I never did that. All right, let's drink some like a lot of let's trademark dis um, disclaimers in this particular podcast. We don't own the rights. We don't own the rights. Um, I do apologize too, because I put the bottles in reverse order on accent from Craig and Moore and Craig Alecki, because I forgot that Craig is spelled C R A I G. Well, Craig Alecki. Oh, that's what I was doing. <laughs> I was going to show the bottle, and I was like, "Wait, I don't have the cork." I have a cork. You have the cork. Yeah, he is the master so of the cork. So, 12-year Doublewood, the the most accessible dram probably for you to find out in the world, although the 14 seems to be pretty well easy to find yeah. as well. Yeah, the Caribbean cask is a big one, yeah. Some of the older age statements have been shuffling a little bit. I know that the, I believe the 17 is going in favor of concentration on the 21. Yeah. Um, some of the other ones are a little bit, a little bit harder to track down. There's been a 15-year-old single barrel that's been added to the lineup that we've been able to reorder mm -hmm. and is wonderful. But Balvenie offers you, uh, in my opinion, a pretty complete picture of what sherry-finished Spaceside whiskey tastes like. Yes. Yeah. My 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 most complete and especially picture. agreeable. Yeah. Uh, and you can just like as well. it's right up front on the nose of it too mm -hmm. of this one specifically that sherry that like nuttiness the the woodiness of it all too a big thing for me with Belvini is their their willingness to be a distillery that does experiment a little bit that will put non-age statement stuff out there that'll goof around with barrels a little bit throw out some stuff that's a little bit stronger mm -hmm. like the ton is is quite strong as i remember yeah but they've dipped over 100 proof quite a few times so they're they're, they expand their, the core of what they do in, in really, really interesting ways, but always stay very, very true to what I would call the Balvenie style. Mm -hmm. Sure, yeah. Also, Balvenie is about a third of the monkey shoulder blend. Yes, it is. Which makes monkey shoulder 
Yes. Easily one of the most attractive. I used to know the, the monkey shoulder blend off the top of my head. I can't remember it now. It's monkey shoulder glenfiddich and um, the one we can't get here. Can it be? Yes, thank can you. Can you? are welcome. Yeah. yeah. I was hoping you had that. That's why I, I started did. it out. Okay. Well done. <laughs> we, t- I, we tasted it that one time. We did, yeah. yeah. And unfortunately did not sell enough to try and convince a deal to give us a bottle. No, but that's yeah. all right. Uh, we have to we have to memorize that blend though before we get that super special. Yes, we do, <laughs> which we will not talk about just yet. Yeah, it's a secret, <laughs> it's but it's soon. a fun <laughs> secret. Soon, yeah. super secret special things. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Balvenie to me though always has this very distinct like bold roundness. If that makes makes sense. It like fills your mouth. It's a little bit bigger than some other space sides. Having tasted it right after the Abelard, the difference in weight is. Very evident. Yeah. yeah. Balvenie's a, a big fat whiskey. Yes. But not in any way that's clean or in any way that tastes syrupy. It's mm-hmm. it's a very well-balanced whiskey. Balance, elegance, alcohol integration, those are things I always come back to over and over and over yeah. again to Balvenie. And that's those are, that's talking about its construction, not the individual flavors. Right. Balvenie feels good while you're drinking it. You know what I mean? It, yeah, it, it does. No, I mean, no, the, the, the general palate of it is extremely... Yeah extremely pleasing yeah it just kind of like coats everything in a really nice way <laughs> you <Yeah>. could say <laughs> yeah all right what do we got next Ms. we've got, got a lot of love for balvity we gotta move well, on so we gotta scooch those around but uh Craig oh, do you want to do a flip Crack-a-lecky. Okay. Crack-a-lecky. thank you there's your flip. excellent so crackalecky besides being super fun to say is a distillery <laughs> located near uh our first mention so it's actually in the town of Aberlar as well but it's named after the village that it's buttressed right up against, too. So Krakaleki Village translates to meaning uh, Rocky Hill and refers to a cliff that overlooks the River Spey across from a distillery that we'll be mentioning last. It was built in 1891 by a group of blenders and merchants led by Alexander Edward. By 1896, it was reconstructed and partnered with Glenlivet. And then a few years after that, it was bought out by Peter Mackey of DCL, Distillers Company Limited, which a lot of people may have heard of because it becomes eventually Diageo. And by 1998, it was also acquired by John Dewar and Sons under that same portfolio. So during its history, it was only released a few, has, excuse me, only released a few named bottlings. And the distiller's product is mostly being used for Dewar's blended whiskeys. Something that I learned recently is that Dewar is also under the Bacardi brands. So when we buy this, mm-hmm. we will have relationships with reps for a lot of the things that we that we purchase. Yeah. And so if I go out and I need, a, I have a question or I want to get something for our whiskey fest and I want, I want to see if um, there's anything they want to feature, you know, how we work with them. Mm-hmm. If I'm looking after uh, Craigenmore or Kleinlich or Lagavulin or Oban, I, all of those I'm talking to are Diageo rep. Right. Yeah. But with Craigenlach, it comes through Bacardi. Got it. So in the states, it is it is underneath the Bacardi umbrella. Oh, I see. So if I was to look for Kragalaki in Scotland, it might be under Diageo's umbrella instead of Bacardi. I have no or idea how it's handled over there, but most they're likely, related. They're like yeah, Bacardi's a, a separate division. Okay. And and is its own portfolio Neat. underneath the, the greater Diageo umbrella, and it's handled by different reps, and we have a different conversation. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I would imagine that that I can't imagine that Bacardi would only do that. On the American market, that's got to be an international control deal. Be, yeah. So I think this it falls underneath the Bacardi umbrella, which I mean, there's a lot of stuff that does. A lot of, I mean, a lot of interesting stuff that does. I mean, some of our casual listeners will think, oh, it's owned by Bacardi. I don't want right. that. No, it's good. Well, so is Angel's Envy. 
Yeah. You know, Angel's Envy. And so is Cazadores, which is good tequila. And there's a lot of really interesting things underneath these bigger uh, umbrellas. So, you know, it's kind of hard to keep straight, but uh, some of this money ends up putting some pretty interesting scotch on, on back bars. Yeah. Certainly did ours because I was undertasted on Kragalaki. Plus, I was first, first a little um, uh, kind of interested in their wonky age statements. Yeah. They have a 13, a 17, and a 23. Yeah. And they go odd years, which That's is not like your choice is usually odd years or even years, but I see mm -hmm. more often than not even years. So the odd years are always something that really strikes my eye personally. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Again, that's probably a, a good thing for like their their marketing too. Is you know yeah. you see even numbers all the time, so you see an odd number scotch. It's like, oh, what's, what's that? This about? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. So Kragalaki is a uh, is considered to be a bit more robust, a bit beefier than your average Bayside. You still get sweet flavors, though. I specifically taste pineapple in the. We have the seventeen and the twenty three year, if I'm not mistaken, and vanilla and a slight wisp of smoke comes in there as well. We did talk about this in a previous podcast, too, is the whiskey wrap-up when we did uh, the UK, so Irish and Scotch together, because that's when we got this in. Oh, because we were talking about our favorite year. ones. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah, Craigalucky was a fun acquisition in this past year, and it's, I, I always kind of feel embarrassed when we get a whiskey this good, and I haven't tasted it oh, in a while. Too, like, how, yeah, did I, how did yeah. I not do this? Well, there's a lot of work to do, and you can't always taste everything. No, yeah. Every time. Sometimes you just got to refresh your palate with what you already know, too. Mm -hmm. Guys, we found out what it was. That fine, there's a fine gentleman out back filling our CO2 tanks for us. Oh, oh right. Wonderful. So we can have draft beer yeah. uh, on Thursday when we open the patio. Oh, yes. That's, that's exactly right. what it is. That's right. Excellent. Crossed it that wasn't rain. the dungeon troll. I, I've kept him very sedated. <laughs> With scotch. With scotch. I was just about to so ask. You got, <laughs> we just poured some Kragalaki. Excellent. Kragalaki. Yes. I, it took me a minute to try and find information about Kragalaki because their website is currently down. Oh, Interesting. No. Which is where I source most of my information first, and then I start to look at very like some things, too. Go ahead. Well, I was just going to say the fun part about doing this, because like, I haven't tasted those three next to each other. Yeah. Like, ever. Like, yeah. I've, I've never had occasion to taste Aberlauer, oh, wow. Balvini, and Kragalaki. Yeah. And... If you had asked me a week ago where Kragalaki stood within the three of them, I probably would have, based on memory alone, said the lightest one. And yeah. I would have been absolutely wrong. Yeah, no, this one has some cajones. It, well, it's it's kind <laughs> of like it's kind of almost inky and rich and, yeah. and like kind of and it's got a it's got a viscosity to it that's different. Yeah, yeah. It's a bit dirtier, but in a real good way. <laughs> yeah, it's very nice. This is 17. <laughs> yes. Yes, excellent. Yeah. <laughs> on their website, they uh, they suggest having a cocktail, basically a whiskey old-fashioned, using Krekaliki 13-year, some vanilla uh, bitters, and pineapple syrup. Pineapple syrup oh. would be great. Nice those things in there. Mm -hmm. Delicious. Very cool. You kind of did a, a cool riff on that same idea with the uh, Ceylon clouds. Except her drink has a lot of tea and botanical in it, too. Yeah, it's fucking yeah, great. It's really good, yeah. <laughs> Uh, are you ready for Craig and Moore? I'm, I'm always ready for Craig and Moore. Craig and Moore is um, secretly one of my very favorite of the Diageo classic. Movies. Are you saying you want some more Craig and Moore? <laughs> it's not that. I get it because there's more. In the ba -da -ba -ba -da -ba. It's the level of my humor, y'all. Get ready. <laughs> um, yeah, Craig and Moore is a Scotch whiskey distillery situated in the village of. To be fair, you have to work all night, so you need to Scotland. save your A material I for do. your guests. Yeah. <laughs> She's just warming up. Yeah. We're in the green room. Yeah. Where are my Skittles? Only red ones. Uh. 
Krakenmore was founded in 1869 Tried by to John Smith. with his own shoe. <laughs> uh, on land leased from Sir George McPherson Grant, the site was chosen uh, by Smith for both its proximity to the waters of the Kragen Burn, where it gets its name, and because it's close to the Strass Bay Railway, so he was already ready to ship that out as soon as possible. Smith was an experienced distiller, having already been the manager of the Macallan, the Glenlivet, Glenfarclas, and Wishtaw distilleries beforehand. One of the unique notes about Cragmore that it, uh, the stills used in the second distillation, the spirits still have a flat top and are relatively short. And they say that the still shape has a definite effect on the taste and aroma of the whiskey, giving it a highly sweet complexity. Uh, unfortunately, the distillery is currently closed with no uh, timeline of opening as of today. So wait, are is this they COVID, using... COVID closed? Because we buy Cragmore whiskey, so where's so there's still uh, there's still stock of Cragmore currently, so it must have been but they're not making closed, anymore. Assume, but you cannot go there. Interesting. I wonder. And they are not. They are a couple years down the road. There. We might Perhaps, see. Yeah. Maybe. More. I've not heard any conversation about whether or not we're going to be able to carry them going forward. So now that that's on my to do right list on. right yeah. now. So are they like using a cut a pot still with a flat top or what's do so, we know? Yes, it's a pot style still. And um, so if the pot still was, for those who can see me on the camera, if a pot still is kind of shaped like an inverse funnel, instead mm -hmm. of going super high up to get like really pineapple esters and stuff that, like you can find in other whiskeys, for instance. They keep it low. They keep it real short and then they flatten it out so that oh. the chew to, to cool it and their condensing tube, I guess you'd call it, just kind of goes almost immediately to the right. Interesting. Or left or whichever direction it is, but not straight up. Yeah. Fun facts. Well, let's taste it. I kind of want to learn a little bit more of the physics and engineering behind specific pot stills. And I have a book that I think will really help me. It's called Smilosophy. I know that book. Yeah. I haven't read that book. Well, I haven't either yet. I own it, but I need to start reading it. You could always go for your, what, third degree in distillation yeah. engineering? <laughs> oh, no, you go to Michigan State. No. They have a program what? in that. Yeah. That's right the down the street. Right Best there thing for, for uh, Michigan State is, is agriculture. This is part of the and agriculture program. And maybe biology. It's part of the agriculture program. Ooh, okay. That was a real good sounding cork pop. That was a good cork pop. I heard it from over here. I don't have earphones in. I do. Yeah, we'll work on that. Cragmore <laughs> <laughs> 12, the only age statement that we can get currently, and we might not even be able to get this one for very yeah. long, which is too bad. This has always been my, oh, so you like... Highland Scotch, have you ever heard of? And then I pull this and nobody ever has. And they're always really happy about it when I mm. when I pour it for them. Yeah. This one, I'm interested to taste again because I haven't tasted it in a while. And I feel like anytime I get someone like that who wants like Highlander Speyside, I'm like, so there's a bunch of these other ones. Uh, but then there's this one. Yeah. Right. And it's a little bit, at least I remember it being a little bit rowdier. Than well, and it's more like obscure it. for people too. Which yeah. Makes it, it makes it a fun conversation for us because... We can talk about Glenlivet and Glenfiddich and McAllen all day, yeah. but th those are conversations that we've had a lot. This one, to my nose, smells the most similar, at least to what we've tasted so far, the most similar to like an Irish whiskey. Well, sure. No, and, and pot, you know. Pot distilled, yeah. 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 yeah, there's an edge to it a little bit. I remember, as I'm not drinking right now i remember craig and more having a pretty good concentration of cereal grain flavor like like yes, it honey does. nut cheerios specifically yes and so it's more mm -hmm. subtle than i i remember it being actually mm. it's pretty like light and yeah and uh you would almost put this one at the beginning of the yes of the, the, tasting, the, the yeah. nose is a little bit pop a little poppier than the actual flavor yeah yeah yeah, yeah. so craig and more is is a reliable dram if you want something just easy to drink 
And that, again, kind of speaks towards what people look for in the Highlands, roundness, sweetness, uh, drinkability. And just all around deliciousness. Mm -hmm. Not that you can't drink whiskey every single day of the year, but Speyside <laughs> and <laughs> and like... We all make choices. Yeah. And Japanese whiskey and Welsh whiskey, for instance, there's just some of the ones that I'm looking at from our back bar. They all lend themselves very well to spring or summer, in my opinion, because mm -hmm. unlike some whiskeys that get super robust or even um, like syrupy or big bodied, those that can sit a little bit lighter, especially with fruit or floral notes, just it makes it makes it a little less hot. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. yeah, like if I was yeah. going to drink like a 101 rye, you can't drink stag I might sweat a no. bit too much. Yeah. yeah. This is. This is something I want to, I mean, we may be able to get to it at the end if we have enough time, but I want to mention it now in case we don't. The the kind of place that Highland Scotch has in a world right now where extremes are are what is valued. Right, like everything needs to be cask finished. Or, yeah, or even with more people coming to peated scotch, because it is an extreme flavor, and when you get into something, you tend to go for extremes. True. Um, and that's either in how it makes you feel or this sort of badge of honor because you're like, oh, I'm into the really, you know, big stuff. I survived it. Yeah. yeah. I only drink triple IPAs. Yeah. So like that thing. <laughs> yeah. That's so it's cool because it lends a lot of attention to people who are doing interesting things, but it also <clears throat> creates a style. And it's like, okay, well, everybody has to make this one thing because that's what the market wants. And then there's a lot of uninteresting whiskey out there. Well, where does the, where does the traditional space side mall land in that? And, I'll, I mean, I would love to entertain your answers, but right off the bat, what I thought was it lands in a spot where it kind of hangs out and waits for people to come back to normal. Yes. And drink stuff with regular ABVs with, with moderate and mellow, well-integrated flavor. It's like when you're done with that, like super edgy, mentally unstable boyfriend, you want to go back to the, <laughs> the, the, the tried and true really standard who you. you know will set you up for life later on. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. Yeah. The very stable professor. Maybe, but like <laughs> we saw it even in Michigan, like what stability? old nation <laughs> makes M43, it goes berserk. And everybody has four hazy IPAs. Right. Yeah. And they're all out there. Yeah. And now, five, six now. years ago, six years later, there are less hazy IPAs, and some of mm -hmm. them are good, and still there's a bunch of bad ones. Yeah. It happens. But you you get real into this one style. The market is dictated by people's interest in that style, and then it all kind of normalizes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, you and I have discussed that before. Like after so many years of drinking, you know, IPAs, double IPAs, imperial stouts, stouts. At the end of the day, now and like my point of, of life i just want a really solid like four to five percent lager yeah if i'm drinking beer right you know? and i love i <laughs> love scotch and my favorite type of scotch is undoubtedly peated at the same time i don't need everything to be cast strength and i don't right. need everything to be massive even by massive i mean super old or super alcoholic i love big strong drams don't get me wrong but i have grown into an appreciation of this style of whiskey it's almost like a like a chocolate cake every night for a dessert is maybe not the way you want to go, but yeah. an occasional Reese's peanut butter cup would probably suit you better. But you still want the chocolate cake every once in a while because that's super fucking cool too. Yeah, you know? like you need those varieties. But I agree. These guys it's might the be a little bit easier for daily drinkers. For the cosmic brownies. <laughs> oh yeah, nostalgia. Yes. We well, better. We gotta go. We gotta keep yeah, going. There's a lot of last here. Three, so yeah. Glenfiddich, Glenfiddich, we actually covered in the Highlands, even though it is a Speyside Scotch by location. 
Um, so I'll just kind of glance over quickly and say that big I, portfolio for Glenn Fitting. Yeah. You think you know, but you don't. They make a lot of whiskey. They only have like 37 different <laughs> <laughs> Glenn Fittig translates to Valley of the Deer in Scotch Gaelic. Uh, it's easily identifiable by that stag logo that we all know. And like Belvinia, it's owned by William Grant. Sons Company it was likewise founded by William Grant a few years earlier in 1887. Their standard or core range includes the 12-year single malt, malt excuse me, the 14-year bourbon cask finish, the 15-year Solera cask, which is what I pulled for Wonderful. you guys to try today if you wanted. Try and an 18-year small batch. I think you did this just to be nice to us because both Mark and I really like well, this. Well, also one. it's my favorite, so yeah. I get to sniff. She's living vicariously um, through us. Experimental <laughs> bottlings, you're right, include Project XX, uh, where they use uh, a multitude of master distillers to work on one. She had to break because I just gave her my drink. Beautiful. To, to, to smell. Beautiful scotch. Thank you very much. It's like much. Jimmy John's free smells. Yeah. <laughs> um, XX refers to 20, so it was 20 master distillers that worked on that one whiskey. At, that stuff was At cool. the same time. That was yeah. really interesting. Winter Storm, Firing Cane. We've talked about those before. Their special edition bottlings include Grand Cru, so where they uh, age in champagne casks. That stuff's great. Mm, and for the 19-year, excuse me, Age of Discovery, so you've got red wine cask finishing in that one, and then the 21-year-old Grand Reserva. As I said, Rum. 37 different expressions of yeah. Glenfiddich you can yeah. get. <laughs> but the 12-year expression is everywhere. And it for is, many yeah. people will be your introduction to single malt scotch. That, that or Glenlivet. That's the first scotch I've ever yeah. had and the first scotch that was ever bought for me from my back bar. Yeah. My back Even at the diviest of dive bars, you will find a bottle of Glenfiddich or Glenlivet yep. 12 year. Possibly both. As, as their scotch. Yeah, really. most bars will have those two and some Johnny Walker and, yeah. and Chivas. Yep. A great transition into the next scotch, which is Glenlivet. Mm -hmm. More appropriately, the Glenlivet. The Glenlivet, yes. The, also, Balvenie is the Balvenie. Oh my god. Some of these distilleries do that. In our in our because I just looked at our uh, menu online when yeah. I was going through, we have it listed as Belvini. I know, because the otherwise Belvini. they'd all be the Belvini, the McCall, the, yeah, the end yeah, of yeah. my um so. uh, the end of my list. And so I've I've run into this while categorizing my records and yeah. putting them into the file, uh, the librarian book file that I have on my phone, which is how I enter my records every time <laughs> I buy them. Uh, so cool. I can easily reference it when I go record shopping. And I have always done the the, the primary word, then comma, comma the, the, at the yeah, end. Yeah. Yeah. So, I can, so I know. I'm not going to look in the T's for the Beatles. Well, like if a guest was looking for a Belvini and then they just didn't see it. In the yeah, that's about where your eyes should crap, go. you don't yeah. have Belvini. Right. We do. It's the Belvini. So no, uh, no offense, Belvini, Glenfiddich, et cetera, to the vast importance of your name. Yeah. From now on, when you come into this bar, if I'm bartending, you must call me the Marvinelli. <laughs> well, it's, you see it in sports too, like the guys, uh, they always sound off their, their college before they, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. you know, some guys don't mention their college, you know, from, you know street hard knocks. But all the, <laughs> the, the, the OSU guys always say the Ohio State University. It's like, okay. Of course <laughs> yeah, they get do. It. There can only be one. Yeah. All right, so the Glenlivet was founded in 1824 by George and John Gordon Smith at the Glenlivet Distillery, and it was first the first legally established distillery in the Speyside region, specifically in Ballandalic in Moray, Scotland. Post-U.S. Prohibition, Glenlivet became the first distillery to export single malt whiskey to America. And in 1953, the Glenlivet and Glen Grant distilleries, um, also Speyside, of course, merged to form the Glenlivet and Glen Grant Distillers Limited, changed their name in 1972 to Glenlivet Distillers Limited. Seagram's, a well-known Canadian drinks brand, bought them out in 1977, which was later then bought by Parnaud Ricard, so another Parnaud brand, if you will. 
And today, the Glenlivet is also the most dominant spirit used in some of Pernod's blended scotch brands. The core includes Glenlivet's Founders Reserve, 12-year double oak, which we have in front of us today, 14-year cognac cask selection, 15-year French oak reserve, and 18-year batch select. They have numerous other releases, including a 50-year-old bottling that they call their Winchester collection. They're illicit, still original recipe styles, a 12-year single malt, and they have numerous first-fill sherry cask finishes. It's kind of their focus for a lot of their excess bottles, if you will. And like John said, too, it's it's like one of the most well-known brands alongside alongside oh Glenfiddich because it's been here for so long. Yeah. These other distilleries may have been in and out occasionally, but like Glenlivet's been here. Been there's here. a, um, I think there's a, it's really interesting why things become popular to me. And I'm going to try to retaste this real quick so I can speak as intelligently as possible about it. But Glenlivet 12 was the first single malt that I ever drank. I drank Mine it because yeah. I knew its name. Mm-hmm. It, probably because it was mentioned in a movie or something. Yeah. And having just sipped <clears throat> some things like Crag and Moore or the Balvenie or that, that Glenn Fittick, um, yeah. um Solera, which was positively like sticky. It was, yes. it was so rich. It's delightful. Glenn Livet kind of does a good job of just being great scotch. Yes. It's like it's like a blue collar scotch if that were ever to Almost. be a thing, you know. Well, the price point makes it very approachable. Yeah. The drinkability is very high. The body and flavor are extremely balanced. Yeah. <clears throat> you can notice a wisp maybe. Yeah. Of peat, but mm-hmm. in no way is it obtrusive whatsoever, nor does it become a primary flavor point. Yeah. And it's easy to pronounce. Yeah. And that's what I kind of mean by like a blue collar scotch is that like I feel like if you were to go <clears throat> to a Scotsman and be like, "Hey, what bottle do you like always have around your house or that you can just it's your go-to i feel like len Livet would be the answer for a lot of them yeah. sure could be regional but yeah yeah that could be regional could yeah. be yeah 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 I'd give it to you though but i bet it's not over all of the uk or if you go over to france which is per capita the great the biggest scotch consuming country in the world yeah i bet it's, be interesting i bet be it's a, i bet it's a, a, i bet it's all over yeah because yeah. uh, also because it's been there for so long, because it's easy to sell, because uh, it's easy to pronounce, it's yeah. easy. It's just easy to order this and have it be great. Yeah, hyper recognizable. Yeah, yeah. And until you just said it, it maybe it's the power of suggestion, but there is that slight little bit of peat. It's like always just why I a liked hint, it, and it is very pleasant. Mm-hmm. I like it. Yeah, it's funny. Cause I, I the Glenlivet to me is like it's a little bit like abbey road or revolver yeah like it's not cool <laughs> to say it's one of your favorite albums anymore but then you listen to it or drink it and you're like no but this is really 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 great it's just because you've known it for so long right and it's really famous yes so you feel you don't feel like as much of a you're just not cool if that's your favorite thing people like that are turds anyhow well i'm just saying like <laughs> it, but it but the more you learn you find out how much of what influenced you is foundational and sticks around or how much of it was, was ephemeral and just was there to get you into the next thing. Yeah. Glenlivet's the former. It's yeah. still to me, an excellent dram of whiskey. Yeah. See what you're saying. Yeah. I don't think it should ever be diminished though. That like if, if your original, like whatever you started off with it, even if you've grown to experience something a little bit more robust, say for instance, in the whiskey category, that if you still like your tried and true, you still fall back on whatever mm-hmm. it is that you loved before then I don't think anyone should judge you for that. Suck it. Suck it. <laughs> I guess that's true. 
which can if lead you're us happy into, where you are yeah. what led you there yeah, yeah. yeah. Which can lead us into uh, our last whiskey, which is actually the first scotch I ever had. And the, you're and, a bougie boy. And what well, most <laughs> people would consider, if you asked anybody, if you canvassed like 200 people and said, name a famous scotch. Yeah. The majority answer would probably be the McAllen. The McAllen. Take it away. The McAllen. Yeah, it is huge in the realm of rare and fine whiskey collectors. Oh, the McAllen is expectedly uh, then gained a reputation for smooth and pleasing qualities, much as you hate the term smooth. It was built on a 485-acre estate. It's a necessary term. North of the River Spey. So this is the distillery I mentioned earlier that um, Craig Alecki faces. So they're on opposite sides of the river looking at each other, probably comparing notes, something like that. <laughs> and uh, the distillery was founded by Alexander Reed. He was a barley farmer and school teacher. The original name of the area was Macallan, so with a G-H, where the C is and then an E. And it's taken from the Gallic word mar, meaning fertile ground. And Ellen comes from monk St. Felian, uh, who held a close association with the church that stood on those grounds before the McAllen estate was built. Um, it was around 1400. McAllen offers their six pillars of quality as a testament to making their scotch. Um, I will preface this by saying most people probably have these same pillars, but this is what I found <laughs> through my research. But they so, said they had them. Uh, the first pillar is the estate. So the Easter Elkes House, which is what they call the estate now, was built for Cop Captain John Grant in 1700 as a reminder to take natural beauty of the area while harmoniously farming their, their uh, maltings there, uh, at least earlier on, if you believe that they take maltings from Port Ellen now as well. Mm -hmm. The second pillar goes to their curiously small stills. So they've got copper pot stills. They have about 24 of them. Each can hold only about 3,900 liters, which is pretty small compared to yeah. scotch houses. Yeah. Uh, the third pillar goes to their high standard for cut faces. So they're super selective in mm. order to work towards making a very rich whis whiskey. They um, will quote unquote throw away more whiskeys at the heads and the tails than often people will do. And uh, their fourth pillar is given to their choices of exceptional oak casks as casking can influence up to 80 percent of the overall flavor profile of a whiskey. And they take wood very seriously. They yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Some serious wood over there. <laughs> Fifth, they give a pillar to the fact that their whiskey is only ever naturally colored as Scottish whiskey law does allow a certain percentage of coloring to be added to those brands who choose to do so. Small pause on that. I have formally judged whiskeys that I knew to color their whiskey. Mm -hmm. And I have stopped doing that because yeah. yep. I have tasted some pretty phenomenal whiskey. It's very easy to judge that kind of stuff. Right. Yeah. And yeah, there's bad whiskey that does it. Sorry, Templeton. Still not good. Don't like you. But there's but shots there are also, fired. I don't like Templeton. It does nothing for me. Um, but and I don't carry their brand. So I yeah. put my money where my mouth is. It's not like it's on the back bar and somebody can come here and, and, and be a jerk about it. Like I right. don't carry it because I don't like it. But there are plenty of whiskeys that are colored that are very, very, very good. So yeah. it's one of those things you just kind of got to get over. Yeah. It's really, they're just putting it in a real fine suit. Yeah. And you know, that body is still beautiful with or without the suit. <laughs> anyway, uh, their sixth pillar, that final one is that they are noted as a peerless spirit. So apparently no other spirit can really hold a candle to that. Oh, there's the so braggy pillar. That is a personal That's choice. That's the sixth on, uh, braggy pillar. That pillar yep. Yes. And the seventh pillar is. You only is, need four pillars to hold up no, a, a roof. Seventh pillar is the strategy. And the seventh pillar is the, uh, the materials gained from the innocents that are burned on a blood moon. That sounds day. strikingly yeah. similar to the evil, fact that evil. they have these like super old bottlings. So they use like, a, I think it's called lilac crystal decanters. 
It's like the most expensive crystal decanters <laughs> you can ever get out of France. They use those for some of their super. Well, I mean, are we still saying you know I mean? between them and the Dalmore, these are the two producers of the most expensive whiskeys in the world. Yeah, because they have some of the old pound scotch, for pound, and yeah. because it's such like old rare whiskey, they always put it in super like fancy ass bottles. So mm -hmm. the Reach is an 81 year old scotch, and it literally comes with its own like sculpted hand base. Mm -hmm. So you've got like statues, and it's something like oh, what eighty thousand dollars a bottle or something stupid, right? Oh, I mean, it's all priced out in like euros and pounds, but, but yeah, a lot. It's close to the millions. I remember, yeah, Dalmore. Yeah. Dalmore released a 62 year old that was astronomically expensive. Yeah, and I think I looked at I looked up the McAllen 50 one time, and this was when Skyfall came out because oh, there's a moment where there's like it's like a William Tell moment. Yeah, you know, where they put the glass yeah. of scotch on this poor Bond girl's head and shoot at it, oh, yeah. and uh, it, it works out terribly for her. Anyway, they mentioned that it's 50 year old McAllen. And, you know, um, Bond drinks a dram of it at one point in the movie, too. And I looked it up, and I think at the time that was like a like a 50,000-pound bottle of... So it would have been like 30,000-pound bottles. It's a, a lot. pound dram. Yeah, I did price it out yeah. for drams, and I think sure. it was something like that. Yeah, it's like you, we would have to sell it for $3,000. I mean, that's a lot. Yep. So, McAllen, to me... <laughs> The first time I bought, uh, I think it was like a pint bottle I bought. I found a little pint bottle of it, mm -hmm. which I thought was very strange to find. Fancy you can pints. get airplanes of, of um, McAllen 12. Really? Yep. Well, there you go. Um, so revisiting it because the first time I had Because McAllen, it's sold in first class. Hey. No, that's why. That's got to be why. It's got to be. Yeah. 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 The first time I had it, I my thought was, wow, I really don't like this. And now revisiting it. I think it is one of the most well-balanced, just like well-integrated, kind of a sexy whiskey, I think. Yeah. You know? We but, harp on it, but it's still like... Yes, we harp on it because it's famous and doesn't right. need our help to sell. Right. True. <laughs> <laughs> so it's it's like, yeah, okay. The Yankees exactly. are really good. The Yankees have been good for, you know, 80s, 90, 100 years. Yeah. So it makes it very easy to hate the Yankees. McAllen is sort of like that. Yeah, like it's easy to just kind of hate it. Like, oh, you like the Beatles? Everybody likes the Beatles. Uh. Well, the Beatles, the Beatles were a music. great king band. <laughs> no, I'm not talking. I'm not saying that McAllen is the Beatles, but it becomes very, very easy to be dismissive about brands that are famous. Right. You can eat. Yeah. That's why, if you're a serious person in this industry and you do allow yourself the opportunity to taste, going back and retasting some of these brands that you have assumptions about is very, very important. Yeah. I had a personal moment about a week ago where an, a rep offered to bring me in while well, Bacardi rep offered to bring me in some age statement rums from Bacardi. And I was like, I don't know if I want Bacardi, you know, like I don't carry Bacardi. I mean, we have a relationship with them from some of the other things in their portfolio that we do carry. Yeah. But I said, yeah, I'll try, you know, the four, the eight, the 10. And then they have another one called uh, Limitado, which is an NAS. And yeah, I bought all of them mm -hmm. because <laughs> they were good. really, really, really good. Yeah. Like all that flavored rum that people chug in dorm rooms, that pays for something else. These right. are reputable distilleries that yeah. do make great product. So, every, if you're if you're a professional person, like you just gotta try to remain objective as much as you can. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I was uh, just because was, something sells a lot doesn't mean it's bad. It's not like you two. That's a bad band. They sell a lot of albums, but <laughs> I mean, you know, I, I personally, I was like staunchly against carrying. Uh, staunchly against carrying Bacardi. That's why like, I no, did it dude, without you. Just try them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's why I bought them before you could taste them. You would have, you would have said yes if you had bought them too. If you tried them first. Yeah, yeah. you tried them first. 
Well, uh, to, to round out McAllen, I'll just say their their core line as I've done with the rest of the whiskey. So you've got um, a sherry oak, 12-year, 18-year, and 25-year. Their double cask is sherry and American oak, 12, 15, 18, and 30. And then their triple cask, sherry, American, and ex-bourbon is 12, 15, and 18. One thing I will give them as well is that they did something really interesting to me, which is that they uh, they have this Harmony collection, which focuses on sustainably sourced packaging, collaborating with a pair of brothers from Spain, the Rocas, made from cacao. Mm. And then they influenced a lot of cacao into that whiskey that they store within the Harmony bottle. Nice. Which found really yeah. fascinating. Yeah, I'm very happy this is in the lineup, especially having tasted them, having tasted it against everything else. I'm not mm. declaring it an out and out winner, but it stands up very well yeah. With, yeah. with everything. And it is a, a beautiful standard because it's light and lifting and very playful, yet nice and rich and extremely easy to drink on the, on the end. Yeah. And I think that goes back to the point we were making before. It's like there probably is no like out and out like winner out of all these whiskeys. They no. all do different things very well and very distinctly. So it just depends on your palate and what you're feeling mm-hmm. that day, you know, mm-hmm. for. Yeah. Which leads me back to one thing that I wanted to say about scotch before we wrapped up for sure. Remember, with bourbon, every single whiskey has been aged in a newly charred barrel. With scotch, the process of aging is different per bottle. So each bottling will have the house style but also be a different and unique expression. That's true for the bourbon too, but those baking flavors are going to be ubiquitous in bourbon. And there's going to be things that happen on, on the finish and with fruit and with wood influence in scotch that's different from bottling to bottling. It's more of a you-do-you you situation. Uh, and that's why I love it so much. You mm. do you boo boo. Mm-hmm. Yay. And there it is. <laughs> you don't say that to Cindy, do you? Yeah. Uh, if I've had a I'll couple of to Cindy. <laughs> All right, that's Bayside Scotch, I think, guys. It really is. We did it. Booms, thank you so much. Thank you, boys. Thank you very much. Heart and soul the podcast. Thanks for tasting on my uh, on my behalf. We got you. (laughs) We'll we'll lift yeah. Um, Lift you up where you belong. (laughs) Where the arms are. (laughs) Again, we don't own any of those songs. All right, join us for our next episode where we pair peanut butter whiskey with Creed songs. You're gonna love it. Uh, once again, shout out to iLogic Media, our production company, for mm-hmm. putting this all together yes. for us. Um, check us out on our social medias. We're the Relief and Resource Company on Facebook. We Relief are. and Resource on Instagram. Relief underscore resource on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Um, check out, uh, by the time this comes out, we will have the Rum Alley open. Patio Bar. Fridays yeah. and Saturdays. It's our yep. patio bar to the side of the bar. And all stay tuned for a soon, an episode soon where we will announce... Uh, something that's happening on July 1st at the bar yes. for our local yes. listeners. Uh, it has a tie to this episode. So if you're a Scotch-minded purpose, person, you're going to want to, um, like, well, if you're in town, you definitely want to be here on July 1st. Yes, absolutely. And what, is our, what is our next one? Do we have our next one picked? I believe it's Botanical Gin. Oh, Botanical Gin Part 2. Yeah, yes. Gin Part 2. Yeah, so, yeah. so it's almost Memorial Day weekend. It's sequel season, kids. So we hey. did the sequel to the Scotch. <laughs> now we're going to do a sequel to the Gin episode. These are our Terminator 2 Judgment Day. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and our Hellboy 2 Golden Armies. Outstanding. Oh Cheers, everybody. Thank you for listening and watching. Thank, thank you. Thank you. Do you ever get too close to these mics and your beard gets caught? I just did it. It happened, yeah. it just happened right before this. It was a mustache here. It was horrible. I gotta it say, got I'm... caught in this little fucking crosshatch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Can't relate. It's what uh, – Glenlivet is what um, Bunk Moreland drinks in uh, The Wire. When he and Jimmy go out, he drinks Glenlivet and uh, Jimmy um, drinks uh, Jameson.
Yep. Because that's what Bunk says one more time. He's like, oh, one more time for old, old time's sake. Let's go out in a few places. <laughs> Me on the Glen Livet, you on the Jamie. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Because then they always end up wasted at the railroad tracks, just drinking out of like, like just drinking beers <laughs> off their off their the hood of their car and like throwing things onto the tracks. <laughs>